Hello, everyone. This is Martin Yu. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of the show. My guest today, very happy to have him on, is Joe O'Rourke, aka Bunchyu. He's the co-founder of DGen Network and host of The Mint Condition, a podcast that reviews the latest trends in NFTs, crypto, and collectibles. In 2022, he co-founded Forum3, an experiential loyalty platform who partnered with Starbucks to effectively build Starbucks Odyssey, an extension of their rewards program powered by Web3. In today's episode, we talk about customer and brand loyalty. We obviously dive into everything that's being built with Starbucks Odyssey, which is currently in beta, their vision, what we can expect, but we also touch upon broader topics such as content creation, marketing in space, as well as the mindset that's needed to network and bring forth new opportunities for yourself. I had a lot of fun recording this and I hope you get value from it as well. So without further ado, please enjoy my convo with Joe O'Rourke. GM, bunch you. GM, GM, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to record this episode with you and honored uh, to be a guest here. So thanks very much. Thanks for taking the time. I, I wanted to start with, uh, you know, bunch you. What does that name come from? What's the story behind this? Man, it's actually, it's so funny. I've been asked this uh, a, a couple times and I wish there was a really great story, but <laughs> it, it's it's funny. It actually originated in 2009. So I've had this kind of nickname slash alias for, gosh, uh, uh, 13 years now, which is crazy. And it, it actually started at a family party on 4th of July and I couldn't, quite tell you exactly how, but they, the nickname, the full nickname is Don Bunchu, like a mafia Don. And, and so it became that my family started calling me that. And so, but then that quickly got shortened just to Bunchu. And then my friends kind of picked it up and Bunchu kind of just became this alter ego of mine at some point where it was kind of like my, <laughs> it was kind of like my outgoing party ego, like party personality, you know? And so, uh, that just stuck. My friends call me that. And you know, like my friends call all know me by that nickname. And, uh, it's, very it's been around forever. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. It's just been around forever. And then it's, you know, it's one of those things where once you like, make it your Twitter handle or whatever it, you can never get out of it. You're stuck with it now. Like people know me that way. You know what I mean? We were, <laughs> exactly. I was on a, I was on a business. So it's, it's actually really funny when I first got involved with like Adam and Andy and form three and stuff, uh, Adam would go to all these calls and like, he wouldn't quite know how to introduce me. So, he, cause he'd be like, this is, Bunchu or Don Bunchu <laughs> or Joe or whatever. And so uh, it's actually really funny. So, uh, but like that's the story. Super it's a professional, around. formal business yeah. meeting. It's like, this is Bunchu. <laughs> yeah. We were on a call with, uh, we were on a call. Uh, the opposite happened the other day. We were on a call yesterday or the day before. And I was talking to, you know, a very high, a very high profile web three agency. Uh, everybody would know. And we we're doing introductions and I introduced myself as Joe and I could see that they were kind of confused and they're like, wait, are you Bunchu? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, was, <laughs> and, so they're, and they're like, oh, okay, well that makes more sense. So uh, it's funny. It goes both ways. You mentioned uh, Forum3. You're the co-founder of Forum3 as well as DGen Network. Tell us a bit about uh, your journey in the space. And when I say journey, you know, I'm using uh, quotation marks because <laughs> it's going to allude a little bit to the Starbucks um, 
everything Odyssey that you're building. But uh, yeah, tell us a bit about that journey. Yeah, it's a really interesting story. I like to, I call it lovingly the D-Gen hero arc because I, my background, you know, like how I found my way to doing what I'm doing now is, is kind of crazy and interesting. And I feel like it's, uh, somewhat inspiring to a lot of people that want to kind of work and get involved in the space. So I first got into crypto in 2017 and I found my way into crypto via sports betting actually. So it was around the time in 2017 where like you couldn't get any money from your bank onto a sports book and they were all starting to, you know, take crypto and Bitcoin as deposit and everything like that. And so that was how I created my Coinbase account. I had no clue what Bitcoin was. I created a Coinbase account in 2017. I bought my first Bitcoin in May. It was like $1,500. And wow. uh, I deposited it on the sports book, made some bets and would pull it off to sit in Coinbase like during the week. And it was the time when like number went up all the time, right? So I started realizing like, oh, maybe I should understand what it is that I'm dealing with here. And so that's when I started going down the rabbit hole. And if you're using Coinbase now, Coinbase in 2017 was just Litecoin, Bitcoin, and Ethereum. And that was it. And so, you know, you I went down the rabbit hole. There was also no like it was kind of the birth of crypto Twitter, I feel like. It wasn't really a thing prior to that. And so you got all your information from Reddit and everything. And it was a crazy time. Okay, so, so you really had to go and dig into the weeds of like Reddit and like going into forums totally. and all that stuff. Yes, you were you were getting a lot of your information from like our Ethereum, you know? And at the time it was like just a bunch of Ethereum moon boys talking about the flippening and all that stuff. And uh, but once I like started learning about it, it was like a rabbit hole that I never came out of. And I quickly, like yourself, started learning about it as much as I could. And then I found for me, the best way to keep learning about it was to create content about it. So I started a podcast in 2018 uh, with my co-host Chamber. And we've been doing that podcast. That was a crypto specific podcast. We've been doing that podcast. Uh, we did it for five years. And so we were still doing it. Well, we're still podcasting together. Sorry. That podcast was called Wrecked Podcast. And so we've been doing that ever since. And then in 2018 is when I first learned about NFTs for the first time. And it was just this very degen thing that was happening on Twitter, which it was called Crypto All-Stars. And it was basically people making trading cards of other crypto Twitter influencers and selling them back and forth to each other. Very Ponzi-nomic mm -hmm. type of thing, right? And uh, But immediately I was like, oh, there's value in this. Like I got it from like a digital collectible background because like I had come from collecting physical things all the time, like sports cards, memorabilia, Pokemon cards, whatever. So I immediately like saw the value there. So much so that in 2018, I actually wrote a one pager that I sent around to some people that I tried to get help building, which was a decentralized art marketplace. I found the one pager the other day and I huh. looked at the date stamp of it and it's like May of or April of 2018 which is like three months after OpenSea launched. And so like, I'm always kicking myself. I'm like, man, I should have maybe done that. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's early. But yeah, but my professional background was always sales and marketing. I, I um, 
spent many years at the Boston Beer Company, which is Sam Adams, and then uh, moved into the medical field in 2017. And I was doing that stuff through COVID. And when COVID hit, I was I was traveling all the time before COVID. And I COVID hit, stopped traveling, had a lot more free time on my hands, really leaned into the like content stuff. And this was also at the same time where you know, NFTs really started taking off. So we pivoted our first uh, podcast into an NFT podcast, ended up meeting uh, Steve NFT Bark around that time. And him, me and Chamber started DJ Network. And this was May of 2021. And then from that, I was creating tons of content. I got really into the play to earn gaming stuff. And I was doing a lot of Axie Infinity. And I was tra- I was just tweeting about what I was learning, very build in public, learn in public type of thing. And I got invited to this retreat. It was a by Drew Austin. And if you don't know Drew Austin, he's an awesome dude in the space. He's a um, kind of he's a VC in in his former life, and now he's the co-founder of Knights of Degen. Uh, but he's super influ- influential and well connected in the space. And he messaged me, and he was like, "Hey." I'm having this retreat, he called it, at my house in Warwick, New York. Here's all the people that are coming. I'd love for you to come and talk to us a little bit about play to earn gaming. And I was like, me? <laughs> you know, like, sure. <laughs> and so I saw the guest list and I was like, man, I don't belong in the same room as any of these people. So I recognized right away that it was a very interesting opportunity that I had to get myself to. And so I said, sure, Drew. Uh, what weekend is it? And he goes, oh, it's actually two days from now on Tuesday. And I was like, oh, don't you guys work? <laughs> and, he, and he's like, he's like, yeah, this is work, man. I'm like, okay, well, I realized I had to get there. And I was unfortunately supposed to be for my job out in Pittsburgh that day. And so I quit. <laughs> I quit my job. And as I simple quit, as that. I quit my job to go to this thing. And I go to this retreat. I keep saying it like that because it was actually like a party, right? It's like a party at his house with all these people, two day thing. And yeah, the, um, the way you you make it sound, it sounds so uh, zen, and like you went it, to do some no, sort of meditation it was more or something. Of a, it was more of a house, a two day house party that he called. He, he labeled a retreat, and uh, and so you know when I tell this story, Adam always jokes because I call it a party and he calls it a conference, and I'm like, no, 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 this was not a conference. <laughs> and so, but at the party, I met Adam Brotman, who is my co-founder at Forum Three. So I took this risk, went there knowing that like my intention was to connect with as many people as possible. I met Adam there and we talked for, I don't know, four or five hours that night. He was only there for one night. So that the next week we started doing business together and Forum 3 was born shortly after that. And the rest is kind of history. So uh, that's why I say it's like the D-Gen hero arc because I took a huge risk on myself to a uh, huge bet on myself to kind of up and quit because I could recognize that this was a really good opportunity for me to make some connections in the space and it it panned out. So, you know, before I am where I am now, I'm just some normal dude working sales and marketing for, um, you know, beer companies and medical companies. I was not a programmer. I was not a, you know, a technical person at all. Just uh, right place, right time with a bet on myself. Yeah. Just to give some context too, uh, Adam Brotman, 
basically was a former chief digital officer at Starbucks, right? Yes, correct. He was former chief digital officer at Starbucks, former president and co-CEO, I believe, of J. Crew. Um, he's at Starbucks was responsible for kind of pioneering their current loyalty program and the mobile order and pay uh, that you use, you know, all the time now, which has grown to be 50 plus percent of all Starbucks business is through the app like that. And so um, pretty, pretty incredible. So yeah, he's obviously had such an amazing career. He's very, which made us, you know, very well positioned for the Starbucks deal and Odyssey, um, as we'll talk about li- a little later. But yeah, so it, it, but that's what I mean, right? It was those kind of people that were there at this event, and I, I kind of was like, okay, I, no matter what happens, I have to get to this thing. <laughs> so, so what um, specifically made you click with Adam? That's a great question. Um, cause it's funny, him and I are so like mind melded where we just see the world in the same way. We see the value proposition of web three and NFTs the same way. And it's funny form three started as kind of like, remember I went there to talk play to earn gaming. So uh, it started with a shared kind of interest in what was happening in the gaming world, right? And um, at the time, you were seeing all these blockchain games launch with these crazy tokenomics, and uh, we were really interested in what was going on there and studying and like really studying all of that stuff. And as we kind of started going through this process together and learning about all of these things going on, we shared a lot of the same values in like what the actual value proposition of this technology is and why were all these play to earn games failing and things like that. And we came to this thesis that, you know, it's because of how the structures and the ecosystems are set up in the way that, you know, um, normal play to earn games as we knew them at the time were very, were all extractive, meaning the ecosystems are funded by the players and they're all trying as hard as they can, as fast as they can to get ROI. So what does that mean is they earn these tokens, they take them out of the ecosystem to pay themselves back. And so Mm. what happens there is innately it all fails because it's all extractive value that's being put in by players, not the game or itself, right? There's no flywheel there. It's just extractive gaming, uh, like people pulling out of the ecosystem. And so, we kind of had this thought of like, well, what if you took an ecosystem that exists, aka Starbucks, right? And you created similar mechanics, similar gamification, similar incentives, but it had nothing to do with being funded by the company. And it was instead, or sorry, by the players. Instead, you're doing this same kind of thing with a large company or sponsorships from companies in which the value is actually being given out to players rather than extracted from other players, right? It becomes this, uh, it's not a, you know, zero sum game in that way. Mm. And so we kind of went with that thesis. And as we, as you can see what, you know, what became Starbucks Odyssey, it's very much follows that thought process of, okay, what if we take those same type of play to earn mechanics and we, create something that's engaged to earn, participate to earn, and all of the kind of rewards and cool things that come out of it are sponsored or 
budgeted by the brand or company that's kind of sponsoring the whole program. And that's what Starbucks Odyssey turned into. And I, I know that's a long winded answer of why did Adam and I think so or get along so well, but it was all this shared thesis around these, these ideas that got us there, really. You mentioned a couple of interesting points. I think like engaging is the key word here where you get people to engage with your brand, not necessarily because they just want to, you know, quote unquote, earn something, but because they are really passionate about what you're building. And I know a lot of like raving Starbucks fan that would love to, for example, in Odyssey, and we'll talk about that more in detail, but you have these journeys that basically walk people through, I guess, the story of Starbucks. And if they get like some sort of questions, right, then they earn some stamps, right? Totally. And, and it's very interesting when you extrapolate that out a little, right? Where it's so, so Starbucks obviously has one of the leading rewards programs, well-known rewards programs in the world. And I think it's, you know, before we talk about Odyssey, it's important to kind of think and talk about what a normal loyalty program looks like and what it is, right? And so if you think of the example of a Starbucks loyalty program as it as it is today, it is very transactional and very linear. And what I mean by that is it's I'm going to give you as a customer incremental visits and incremental spends. And as a company, you're going to give incremental discounts in the form of stars, right? That can be redeemed for free items. Super transactional, super linear, not necessarily engaging at all outside of just the fundamental like mechanic. Spend, right? spend X and get Y back. Exactly. Right. It's a send me one Ethereum, I'll send you two back. Right. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, so when you think of like that versus what Odyssey is, they're very different. And it has to do with this idea of engagement and participation. And, you know, when you think about what the goals are from a brand perspective, it's to create this deeper brand relationship with the consumer. And it's all currently, I mean, we think at Forum 3 that the mindset and what a consumer wants from a brand and loyalty is changing and it's very different than it was in the past. Right. And so like, what does a customer want now? They want that deeper engagement from a brand and loyalty, I think is not something that the brand should expect from a customer. It's actually what the customer should expect back from the brand. Meaning like, it's at me as a customer, come and get me. You know what I mean? Like if I mm. like, you, you know, so what are you going to do for me at this point? Like that's how the customer's mindset is changing. Right. And so when you think of like what Odyssey is at its core, it's a gamified a loyalty game. Right. And if you haven't experienced Odyssey yet, here's what it looks like. You log in with your normal Starbucks rewards credentials. So what's cool about that is you don't need to create a new login. You don't need to create any new accounts. You don't need to come there with a wallet. You don't need to do any of that. You just log in with your normal Starbucks account. And once you get inside, uh, there's these journeys that are there. And each journey is differently themed around, you know, there was the first one was the holiday journey that, you know, had to do with the holiday season and things like that. And 
inside these journeys, there's kind of different activities or checkpoints or things like that, that um, earn you points along the way. And it's all about earning points, completing journeys, earning these journey stamps, which are the NFTs of it all, and leveling up. And your journey stamp that you earn at the end of each uh, individual journey has points, Odyssey points embedded into the metadata. So you truly own your loyalty points in that way. Those can be bought, sold, traded on the Odyssey marketplace, or if you want to take them out to your MetaMask, self-custody them, they can be bought and sold on decentralized marketplaces like OpenSea. But back to your original question, right, about engaging, it's not pay to play. It's not pay to win. It's, it's, it's come along with me, learn about the brand, learn about our core values, what we think is important, consume our content and be rewarded. Right. So, um, Mm -hmm. that's actually a really interesting phenomenon when you see how people are interacting with it. Right. Like I, I just had a conversation about this where Starbucks has all this content, tons of content that, They've had for years and they would love for their customers to engage with because it builds deeper relationship with the brand, but nobody was using it. Like all this stuff was out there and nobody ever interacted with it. And now by putting it in this structure of like incentivization, like we've incentivized you to come here, learn more about the brand and for doing such, you earn something and people are loving it. Like the response is, Hey, this was a really cool video of the Costa Rica coffee farm. I've, I learned more about the brand and I, that I never knew this was really cool. And it was out there prior, but nobody was using it. Right. So you've incentivized somebody to actually learn about your brand, which in turn forms that deeper relationship. And then, you know, the rewards mechanism is totally different also, which we can get into. Well, it's interesting because um, by doing that, it's almost like you cut through all the noise of the traditional social media platforms because so many people are marketing and advertising on there that it seems like everyone's kind of numb to all this content that's being put out. You can make an awesome video that's like super touching, super emotional and telling everything about the brand. And if it doesn't just it doesn't click and people don't hook for the first three, four seconds, that video is kind of, you know, a lot of it is wasted. And I love the fact that you can repurpose it in this um, Odyssey program that you're, you're launching where you get people to actually focus on it and, and, you know, you reward them with that. I love this idea of like aligned incentive and it's, it's a recurring theme we've seen in Web3, right? Totally. And that's really what it's all about. Aligned incentive, two-way value, right? Those are the things that I think make this whole thing work and that are what's really interesting about it all. How many journeys are there so far in the beta version? Um, I think there are three that are live. So like that you could go in and start. There's two that you can complete definitely right now. There was one, that holiday one that I described was a seasonal one. So what you'll see is you'll see evergreen journeys that'll be kind of all year round. And then you'll see some seasonal ones that are kind of time bound pop up along the way. So like the next time bound one might be for spring, for example, but the ones that are there now are going to, you know, you can complete all year long. So, um, and then I think each journey has either four or five different kind of checkpoints in there with, of different things you can do. What's interesting is like 
part of the journeys will be things like I mentioned, right? Take the virtual tour of the Costa Rica coffee farm, right? But part of them will be, are also, you know, things that will reward you for activities you're already doing in Starbucks, meaning buying your coffee because it's attached to your, your rewards program login. We have the ability to talk to everything you're doing in the normal loyalty app and it recognizes all your transactions. So for example, the first journey that you're going to see when you go in there is called the heritage journey. And it's about history of Starbucks, this, that, the other. Uh, But there's a piece in there, which is visit a Starbucks store five weeks in a row and purchase one of our signature drinks, right? And for a Starbucks, you know, power user, that's probably uh, that's on Odyssey, like, yeah, they might go to Starbucks five times a week, right? But the Mm -hmm. idea isn't to force you to buy things at a rate or habit you wouldn't typically. The idea is to also reward you in this way for the actions and activities you're taking with the brand from a purchasing standpoint as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm wondering if, you know, it's a possibility in the future to see NFC technology kind of enhancing that in some way, because we've seen what G-Money has done uh, in Miami, I think, with his uh, 90cc shirts. Like, I wonder if there's a way to implement that into like loyalty systems where if you visit a certain location three, four or five times a week, you get something special just by being there. Yeah, I love that idea. It's an idea that we've talked about a ton, not only with Starbucks, um, but just as Forum 3 and kind of all the opportunity that is out there when, you know, at Forum 3, we call, we're, we're calling this kind of experiential loyalty, right? And so what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of the things you just mentioned, right? There's, there's so many things that you can do to create experiences and NFC technology is a hundred percent one of them, right? Like there's, when you think about like crossing over, especially from brands and activations, right? Crossing this kind of real life participation and action with this digital world activity that you're doing and how to bridge the gap. Like NFC technology is super cool to think about when you, when you understand all the power that it has, not only just by like linking something physical to your digital asset, which is super cool. Like if you, um, you know, imagine a world in which Starbucks is doing something like this, you could technically then because your rewards program ID is attached to your NFT, by linking your NFT to your wearable, you've essentially linked your loyalty program to your wearable, which is interesting, right? Mm. So now I go pay with that and it acts just like I would if I have an app. Or if I, you know, like you said, step foot in a store I haven't been to for the first time, well, maybe there's a reward there that, or maybe there's an AR experience there that comes up that you can participate in that wouldn't be there prior or otherwise, right? So I think there's a ton of cool stuff you can do when you think of like this concept of branded experiential loyalty with NFC technology. Yeah, because I I mean, there's so much intangible value that we don't account for. The value doesn't just come in the form of a transaction, right? Let's say, um, so I'm in the hospitality business and I, I own restaurants and bars. And I mean, a lot of the value also comes from just customers being there. Like they don't have to necessarily, of course, like they'll consume just by being there, but by the fact that they're there for like two hours, it is 
an intangible value to the business itself. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, what's really interesting, I actually talk about this specific thing a lot in terms of like why Web3 and like why utilize this technology. It's this concept of being able to unlock a brand's intangible value. And whether it's something physical like in store or at a roastery in the terms of Starbucks, like you're you're talking about, or just this two-way value exchange that I kind of mentioned before where, okay, well, one of the Starbucks, let's just keep using Starbucks as an example. These are hypotheticals, but uh, you know, Starbucks is is one of the largest brands in the world. They can go collaborate with any other brand, artist, anybody that they could possibly think of. And up until now, it's always been a one-way value exchange, meaning they're utilizing those connections to market to you, not reward you, right? And then, but if you think about all that access and all that stuff that they have at their disposal, not only even, I mean, even within their own ecosystem, within their own stores, within their own content, within their all own, you know, everything. But like when you think of outside, like say there's a Mariah Carey holiday thing next year for a hypothetical example. Well, you can take that and create this very cool reward NFT that maybe gives you an access pass to something branded from co-branded with Mariah Carey and Starbucks, right? Like there's mm. that, that's really interesting. It's interesting. You mentioned holiday and you also touch upon like seasonal marketing, you know, a couple of minutes before, but Starbucks has been at the forefront of that kind of marketing, you know, like they were the first to come up with like seasonal drinks and everything. And that pumpkin spice latte like <laughs> became world famous just because like it was for a period of time. So I can definitely see like NFT is really playing into that, you know? Totally. Especially when you think of like what I, that example I just gave in a way that's gamified, meaning like, Hey, we're going to do this very cool activation and it's being exclusively given to people who have done the most work inside the Odyssey game, inside the Starbucks ecosystem, meaning like, Hey, because this, this game is going on and your objective is to complete journeys, earn stamps, earn points, level up, right? Well, now you've got kind of a, this hierarchy of your most loyal participants, right? That, that not necessarily have spent the most money, but have shown the most interest and engagement with your brand. And those are people you should be rewarding, right? Because those are the evangelists. Those are your brand ambassadors. Those are the people that are your diehards and, you know, not necessarily maybe the same person that's spending the most money, but like, those are two different values that should both be rewarded. Starbucks Odyssey is in an extension of the Starbucks reward loyalty program. And from what I read in Odyssey, the beta is a separate mobile web app, right? And it's mm -hmm. not integrated into the Starbucks reward app. Do, am I getting that correctly? Or? Yeah, that's correct. So the current experience, and I think it's part of, you know, how you have to roll something like this out when you think of, how kind of new and innovative this whole concept and technology is, it has to be separate to start, right? Because one of the biggest things you could fail at is interrupting the experience with the normal loyalty program, right? You're talking about mm. the biggest 
most used loyalty program in the entire world. And if you disrupt that with something totally brand new that kind of interrupts your experience there, that you're you're not going to have a good time. So the idea. How many users are on that, by the way? Uh, Just like, yeah, it's a great great question. So I think I think it's like twenty seven million sixty day actives. Like so, wow. in a rolling sixty day period, twenty seven million people are using it. So when you think of like what Odyssey could become, it, I mean, for for Web three specifically, like could be a major, major, major onboarding thing to to this technology, which is super cool to think about. But yeah, so. Odyssey right now, it's a mobile-friendly, mobile-reactive web app. So you could use it on your desktop, you could use it on your phone, but and the but it's not, it doesn't live inside the Starbucks app that you use every day. But what is the same is the login, right? So your Starbucks login that you use for your app is the same that you use for Odyssey, which is which connects all your transaction history. So, you know, you can utilize the Starbucks rewards account in the same way. It just doesn't live inside the app yet. Mm-hmm. And part of me, if this seems like a newbie question, but why did you go with Polygon? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so first of all, when we started the process, Ethereum was still proof of work. So when you're talking to the Starbucks of the world and these large companies, specifically Starbucks, in which sustainability and environmental concerns are part of their core values, right? So, you know, any proof of work chain at the time was kind of a non-starter, right? Just from an from that standpoint. So that mm-hmm. left us with kind of layer two options or other layer ones that were proof of uh, proof of stake or other consensus types of, of layer ones, right? So, you know, when we did our due diligence on all these blockchains, Polygon just stood out to us as kind of the number one far and away from a where consumer brands might live in the future, right? Um, you still have all that compatibility that you would have with Ethereum mainnet. So, as Ethereum continues to grow and scale and more people are on Ethereum, all the things you can do with Ethereum, you can do with Polygon. Um, but also from a transaction cost standpoint, from a speed and transaction uh, throughput standpoint, the, the capabilities are much greater than Ethereum mainnet, right? So as far as like, you know, if we end up having five, 10 million people using this a day at some point, you know, you need to consider scaling. And, you know, if five or 10 million people are transacting at the same time, well, we know what happens when you do that on mainnet, right? <laughs> so it's, uh, and so, but then you also need to, you know, well, they also need to have large enough network effects at the current time, right? So you can't just pick, you know, a, a new and upcoming. Chain. blockchain that right because there needs to be some sort of network effect already there otherwise you sacrifice things like security and and stuff like that so it's really a delicate balance but polygon stood out to us uh, the team over there is fantastic just technically uh, professionally um, their vision is aligned with what we're doing and then you know it, we weren't we're not the first uh, Starbucks was not the first brand over there as well so you know being able to kind of talk to some other brands that have had activations on polygon um, 
you know, was, was really helpful as well. So you mentioned like the stars that you collect in Odyssey, you can technically, you know, you could list them on a, any kind of marketplace, right? Yes. So right now, if you are in the Starbucks Odyssey ecosystem, so what's cool about this is the experience does not require you to have any prior Web3 knowledge, meaning I log in with my Starbucks rewards. I am created an Odyssey account in the background, a wallet is created for me that I don't even necessarily know exists until I go try to sell something. Um, but even then, so like the back end, the Web3 portion of it all is powered by Nifty Gateway, who we chose as a partner. So it's a custodial experience, kind of this Web 2.5 type of experience. I call it uh, lovingly like a mullet effect, right? You got web two in the front, web three in the back. And so <laughs> you, you've you got uh, this experience where the user doesn't know necessarily that they're dealing with crypto or the blockchain. Um, they could interact, earn, sell, all without ever needing to self-custody their asset. However, because we chose Nifty Gateway, which is part of the reason we chose this, we thought it was important to... Um, we thought it was important to give both options, right? Like we want to be super conscious of the user experience from somebody who has never utilized anything in Web3 before, because again, we might potentially be dealing with millions and millions of people at some point that will likely have never experienced Web3. But we also wanted to promote and give you the optionality to self-custody your own assets because we think that's super important. And uh, so not only can does Odyssey have its own kind of vertical marketplace in which the stamps are being transacted every day now, but if you, like myself, I pulled mine off into my MetaMask wallet, I self-custody my stamps, and if I want, I can go interact with them on OpenSea or LooksRare or wherever. So, you know, same will be with the rewards and everything like that. Um, uh, really wanted to give the optionality there and thought it was super important to do so. Very cool. In the future, can we expect to interact or engage with other members of the Starbucks community? And as a second question to that, if yes, like when can we expect that and what would that look like? Yeah, so it's a, that's a really good question. So philosophically, Web3 to us is innately community-based, right? Like you, it's all about going from single player to multiplayer in the sense of like connection. And uh, I mean, you know, you and I wouldn't be connected without these communities that we belong to, right? Some right. of our, some of our best friends now are come from these communities that we're involved in with shared interest in projects or shared interest in uh, topics and things like that. And so, um, Starbucks is is kind of a unique thing where they've always kind of had that as a core value in their physical locations, right? Like they talk about Starbucks being a third place. It's like not your home, it's not your work. It's this this place you come to, you know, get a specific feeling or do your, you know, meet with somebody over coffee, an old friend or whatever. And so we wanted to help facilitate that stuff virtually as well. So right now there's a small, like very, very small group that is kind of beta testing some community stuff for us. And that's expected to roll out uh, to a much broader audience as early as next week, I believe. So, oh, nice. 
currently it will live on Discord. Um, so we're we're starting with the Discord, but the idea eventually is to bring it into a Odyssey native experience. But so you'll be able to, yes, connect with other Odyssey members. And I think that's going to be so fun. Like we've, we've tested doing community events uh, so far with the small group that we're, we're playing with. And we've done things like conversations over coffee where we interviewed Adam and talked about his story. We've done Odyssey AMAs. We've done trivia nights and um, all kinds of cool stuff like that. And so you'll see more of that and you'll see a lot more of it. It's actually going to be a big focus as the uh, platform grows. I think that's what that's part of what's going to make this, I think, such a really fun thing. Like right now, if you're in Odyssey and you're not in this Discord, it's a, you know, it's a very single player type of thing, right? But then mm. as soon as you are involved in the community aspect and you're GMing each other and sharing pictures of your drinks and um, <laughs> there's this really interesting thing that's happening uh, organically in which like, when you sign up and you sign in to Odyssey for the first time, you'll there's a couple different like profile pictures that you can choose, and they're all different animals that have to do with the roasts of coffee, right? There's like the Sumatra tiger, there's the hummingbird, and there's uh, the Yukon bear. And so, what's happening in the community is like people are factioning off and, <laughs> and stuff. So <laughs> it, it's kind of funny. So it, and that's all kind of happening organically. So I think. Uh, the community stuff is what's going to really make this a cool thing in the future, I think. And it's also super helpful for disseminating information, getting feedback, um, you know, co-creation when we get there, which will be fun. Like there's ideas. Again, these are kind of hypothetical down the road things, but like the idea of like co helping co-create a journey or something like that. And that's uh, pretty cool too. Then that can only be done in that community setting. I can't wait for like a GM coffee or like some sort of GM drink <laughs> yeah. uh, that comes out from Starbucks. Totally. <laughs> and you were mentioning community and this is a bit left field, but imagine like if there's a way to connect with Starbucks members, if there was like a dating side of the app. <laughs> I, like, I like that speed, speed Starbucks dating. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting sometimes how, you know, showing up, coming back to your story, you know, like quitting your job and showing up is the thing that leads to the next thing that leads to the next thing that you dreamt of, right? Like just by showing up cons consistently in the web three space, learning, engaging, DMing people and actually creating content via podcast and spaces. I think you kept your ear to the ground and now you're hosting, you know, the mint condition with DJ network. How has content creation helped you in your journey? And would you recommend it as a tool to grow within the space? Oh man, 100%. I would say anybody who's interested in the space should be creating content. And now that's like a scary thing to say for a lot of people, but that comes in a lot of different forms, right? Uh, putting out a tweet about what you learned today, not a doesn't need to be a thread. Putting out a tweet about what you learned today is content, right? And making a comment on a Twitter space is content. It doesn't need, you don't need to launch your own podcast or, you know, network like I did or whatever. But it, why I say that is through the content that you're putting out, one, you're learning, right? Because there's no better way to learn than by teaching really. And so- And actually writing it down. 
Yes, right. Because you have to, you're forced to kind of explain it in a, especially if you're tweeting, right? A very concise way that's able to be understand uh, understood. But like, if it's a podcast, if it's a short video, if it's a tweet, right? But like, there's no better way to like learn something than to actually try to teach it or talk about it with somebody else, right? And so I think through creating content, it's helped me there are a couple of things, right? Like you go through, we're in one right now, this bear market, right? And we, we were in one in 2018, 2019 as well. And by creating content, it keeps you in the game too, right? Like um, it's very easy to be involved when it's number go up, right? But when you have this, uh, when you have this drive to kind of create stuff and keep, showing up, like you said, right? Put yourself on a schedule to to be involved. Like it keeps you in the game and being in the game at times like this or at times like 2018 when there's bear markets. And that really gives you an edge for these next cycles where everybody's piling in, everybody's looking at it, right? Like, so one, from that standpoint, two, from the learning standpoint, three, from the networking standpoint, like, like yourself and myself, like you have a podcast and you land this really interesting guest and you have an hour to talk to them and connect with them. And now all of a sudden you have a relationship there that you didn't prior. And it's Mm -hmm. through, through relationships like that, that these opportunities come and um, you know, maybe they remember you and you struck a chord and uh, they tap you on the shoulder for something, or even if it's just audience building, right? Like when you have a guest like this on your show, the guest comes because he sees value in adding something to your audience, but you as the host also get advantage of, you know, somebody that's following the guest's content comes right. and stays, right? Like there is somebody will hear a podcast of mine that's never listened to me before and find me interesting and come back the next time. Right. So like there's so much benefit of creating content. I would say the biggest piece of advice would be just to start right? Like it doesn't have to be, there's no perfect Twitter thread. There's no perfect podcast. There's no perfect medium article. Like just start because once you start, you'll feel, you'll, you'll realize, oh, oh, this isn't that hard. Like it's not as scary as I thought it was. And even if nobody sees the first stuff you put out, you're learning just by doing it. And I think that's what gives you an edge. Yeah. And Honestly, now the the bar is so low for the type of equipment you need. Like, for example, Twitter Spaces, it's it's really democratized podcasting in a way. Like, you can just go on Twitter Spaces and participate just with your phone. You don't need like a crazy mic or a crazy setup. You can just do it on the go. And I think totally. in that sense, like, there's just no more excuses. We're going to see like more creators coming to the space, and I'm excited about that for uh, 2023. But in 2022, you recorded 50 episodes of The Mint Conditions. Uh, Congrats, man. That's wild. What's coming for 2023? 50 episodes is... uh, That's crazy. It's uh, it's one a week. It's It's not like the most nuts thing ever. Like, you know, you see some of our shows on DGEN that are daily and I'm in awe of those, but what's coming for 2023 is the mint condition is now three days a week. So we're, uh, we're going to three X that number of, of episodes this year. And it's funny, like what you just said about Twitter spaces is the reason why we're doing it because this 
social audio stuff, like it's hard to build an, it's hard to build a podcast audience, right? It just kind of goes out. You need to drive people there. You need to, it's, it's very much push content, right? But like Twitter spaces allows you to kind of pull people in organically mm. and it allows for bigger reach, Network right? Effects. So totally. And our, our Twitter spaces, so we've actually kind of flipped the model, right? Instead of we were doing a weekly podcast, pushing it out to all of our channels. And that's great. We've had awesome success uh, doing that. We've built a really fun audience. and But what we're actually doing now is all of the content is Twitter spaces and we're ripping the audio and putting that out as podcasts. <laughs> it's mm. it's, it's uh, interesting. So we're trying something different this year. We're seeing so far, we've been doing it for... I don't know, a month. And we've seen people from the podcast that were podcast only come and join the spaces, which was which is really cool. And then we're seeing people who join the spaces uh now realizing they can listen to us at on recording or later, right? Or subscribe to us and not have to be appointment viewing and that's driving downloads. So it's really interesting the crossover that we're seeing there. And it's just, I think the social audio piece is driving this network effect to both areas, which is fun to see. And we'll see how it goes this year, but uh, lots of cool content to come. (laughs) Awesome. You mentioned in a tweet that, and again, you can comment on this if you want or not, but you mentioned in a tweet that you've always considered yourself a positive person, Mm. but lately you're finding your default mode to be negative. Um, you challenged yourself to a public gratitude journal in 2023. How is that going and what have you learned from it? Oh man, it's a good, that's a great question. Um, I, well, it's funny. The The hardest part is being consistent. That's for sure. The, there's, uh, if you actually look at that thread, there's definitely, uh, I, I find that I miss on weekends, which uh, <laughs> I find that I miss posting on weekends, which I think is probably a good thing when I think about why, right? But uh it's really interesting. Like I, I have, I've always thought of myself as default positive, default optimist. And I think just being so plugged in all the time, it's easy to get burnt out. And, um, when you get burnt out, everything is negative. And, you know, I've had some like blessings of life changes. Like I had a second kid and that that's all stuff that should be, super energizing and happy and all this stuff. And it, when you, when you're like finding yourself in that scenario and you're not being positive about it, you're like, Oh, well, I don't like this one bit. Like this is a blessing. I should be grateful for this and not, not, Oh, it's a burden that I have to change this diaper. Right. And so like when I started feeling things like that, it was clicking with me really easily that, all right, I need to figure out how to change this mindset and kind of force and give myself a forcing function to think about the things that I'm grateful for every day because I have so much to be grateful for. And, um, so that, that's why I did it. And, um, has it helped? Oh, totally. It's been going great. Like it is, um, like I said, I've missed some days, but, uh, nobody's perfect, but like, you know, you find yourself reflecting a lot more on smaller things, right? Not everything has to be a big win and give you this crazy dopamine hit. It's, it's just when you're finding so, yourself trying to post about something, it often is 
something small that you realize, man, this is great, or I should be grateful for this. Or, you know, like I said, I think the other day it was just like holding my eight week old makes me feel peaceful. I'm very grateful for that. Right. Or like, you know, I had a conversation with my dad and it reminds me, Hey, you know, I'm not going to always have this and I'm super grateful for it. And it also reminds me of things that I don't do enough. Like that same post about my dad. I'm like, I don't tell them enough that I'm grateful for them and, and stuff like that. And so it's been a really good reflection thing. Um, the hardest part, obviously, like we said, is showing up every day and being consistent with it, but that's not necessarily the, the point of the whole thing. It's the, the process of why you're doing it that matters. Yeah. It's also like not beating yourself up if you miss a day or something. I, I started like being very diligent about meditation every day. And I would say now I'm at like six days a week where I'm super consistent right when I wake up. But, you know, there's always that one day where you wake up a bit later and then you find yourself running after things and you're just like, well, I don't have time, you know? Yeah, but, totally. So, so you just have to be fine with those days. But you mentioned something interesting, which is, I think, sparked this idea in my head, but like one of the most addicting things is our own emotions. So whatever you feel and your natural state is, you're going to default into that state. So when you actually wrote that tweet, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. You know? mm, totally. And, and it was, like I said, it was like a forcing function to get myself out of that funk because I, I was finding it like, I'm lucky and should be the first tweet should have been that I'm grateful for the self-awareness to even like recognize mm. that because there's so many people that probably feel the way I felt when I was doing that, that don't recognize that's what's happening to them. You know what I mean? And so like, I'm grateful that I was even able to recognize that in myself to shake my shake the cobwebs off you know what i mean so and yeah. and it does it not everybody gets that privilege and it, it leads to you know depression and all this stuff and it's like i just don't want to take these things in my life that should be such blessings because i am i'm very blessed i'm a super privileged to do what i do every day work from home be with my family have two kids everybody's healthy and like when you find yourself being negative about some of those things, you're just like, whoa, something's got to change, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be sensitive of your time too. Uh, do, you, do we have time for a last question? Absolutely. What would be your message to the people out there that want to perhaps like, you know, they're at a moment in their life where they have to make a big decision, like what you did with, let's say, Starbucks, uh, you know, deciding to quit your job and go to that retreat quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> See, you get uh, it. <laughs> and, and, you know, you just decide to do that. But, you know, a lot of times like you meet someone like Adam, which can seem so out of league at the time. And I'm sure maybe you can talk about this, but I'm sure you've had some sort of like imposter syndrome as a lot of people do, my, myself included, when you're around a circle of people that are just more um, elevated than you are in terms of like where they are in their journey in life. How did you deal with that? And how did you instill a certain sense of confidence to move forward? Yeah, it's super interesting. It's a great question. And um, I have this tweet thread at the top of my Twitter profile that I wrote when I when the first like TechCrunch article went out about the Starbucks stuff. And in that article or in that thread, I kind of tell the story that I just told you. Uh, about my journey. And then 
I kind of did, I don't know, there's 10 or 11 tweets in there with like lessons that I learned or advice I would pass along to somebody in the same scenario. And the very first one is imposter syndrome. So you nailed it. (laughs) And it's like the very first one is imposter syndrome. And it's like such, it, it kind of is not totally unrelated to what we just talked about as far as like the power of positive thought. Right. But like imposter syndrome, I feel like everybody has, and it's kind of a common theme when you think of like, okay, start creating content, just start doing something, just start thinking positively about small things in your life. Like it's just start. And then when I think of like the imposter syndrome that I had, it held me back for a long time in the sense that I was doing so much work in the space, learning, creating content, tweeting, all of these things. But I felt like a spectator, right? Like I felt like I was doing it as a spectator and not a participant because of the imposter syndrome. I always felt like, well, why me? Why should somebody listen to me? Mm. And instead the mentality really should be, why not me, right? Like I'm putting the time in, I know the work that I'm doing. I know that I'm giving this my all and I know I have value to add to somebody somewhere, right? Like whether it's, you know, I'm not a technical person, I'm not going to go try to, uh, you know, tell somebody how to write a smart contract, but I do know what it's like to start a podcast. There's value there to add to somebody. And so, um, I think I literally say in that tweet, when you stop asking why me and start asking why not me, like that changes, mm. that's that little mindset change. Um, and, and again, it's just start. And so like when you talk about putting yourself in the league of people you think that you're outside of, right? Like all those people were in search of something there that day, right? Like they were looking to learn something. They were looking to be with people that knew something that they didn't. And, um, um, side note, that's also something I think about so much because web three has kind of leveled the playing field in a sense that if you do spend your hours on Twitter spaces and you do stay up to date every day, people that are wildly successful that you would have never thought you could connect with will kind of just like look up to you and try to get some information out of you. And all of a sudden it's like, it's a value exchange Mm -hmm. instead of you admiring them and being like, Oh my God, you're this super high ranked CEO at this company. Well, all of a sudden, like you have some value to provide. They're in search. Everybody, everybody coming into this space is in search of knowledge of how to, you know, do something of, of what the technology is. And so if you're putting in the time and effort and again, creating content sounds like a daunting thing. What it really is, is learning and putting out what you learn and talking to people and don't like the thing you just said is really interesting because I tell people all the time, like we're such so early in this industry that we're in this very crazy moment in time where everyone is accessible. Like everyone from, Mm you know, CEOs to companies learning about this stuff for the first time to, you know, the biggest influencers, if you are looking to to do that, like people you would think you, you shouldn't have access to are accessible. And I'm not sure how long that's going to last, right? Five years from now, 
the people that are accessible to you now might be in a, stra- a different stratosphere and you'll look back and you'll be like, why didn't I send them a DM? You know what I mean? Like uh, mm-hmm. I was hanging yep. out with them in Twitter spaces, listening to the same content, right? Like you can assume if you guys are in the same space, listening to the same thing, you're, you probably have a piece of information that's helpful to somebody, right? Like, so I would just say that little why me to why not me is my, is like the little catchphrase of it. But it's all of those things that we just talked about and just not being afraid to actually put yourself out there. It's much easier said than done because typically you feel like, oh, well, this person must know more than me. And it's just not the case so many times. And even if they do, what's the worst that happens? They say no, or they don't answer your DM and it's on to the next. And, um, you know, that would be my, my advice. I love that. Why not? Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure of mine to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, this was really, really fun conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and looking forward to all of your success this year. Thank you. Where can the audience find you on Twitter? Definitely Twitter is the easiest way to find me. It's at Bunchu Bets, B-U-N-C-H-U Bets. Uh, so that handle uh, embodies that comes from my all the sports betting. <laughs> that's exactly still? right. That was the well. It, it's funny. That's how that Twitter account was initially made for like sports betting and stuff, and uh, it's converted over time. But it follows the whole story, so that's full circle. Bunch of bets. Amazing, bunch of. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Martin. Appreciate you. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. Your feedback is always super helpful. So if you take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. And until next time.